episode 97 of Welcome to Level 7, Listener Feedback Jamboree. And in case you were wondering, that does mean we are getting feedback from listeners about the episodes SOS Part 1 and 2, about Age of Ultron, about pretty much everything, and that means spoilers, 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 spoilers. If you didn't know from playing the spoiler organ music right now, which is something that I do uh, when I'm going to have spoilers, there are spoilers, spoilers, spoilers about to come. If you haven't seen Age of Ultron, go see it and come back send us some feedback about it because we'd love to hear what you think if you haven't seen sos yet you do not want to be spoiled about that episode so you need to watch that episode and then jump in listen to what our listeners have to say about some of those things and then we'd love to hear from you about that but spoilers 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 from this point on welcome to level seven A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Level 7, everyone. I'm Ben. Ben Avery. I am one of two hosts who are here to read your feedback, and listen to your voicemails because we have skipped that for a few episodes and it is time. We have a lot to get through and I'm very, very excited. I'm also very excited to introduce my co-host, your friend, Dandy Daniel Butcher. I got my party hat on, buddy. Woohoo! Jamboree. Jamboree is a uh, noisy celebration, by the way. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I had to use a thesaurus to find the word that I was looking for in titling this episode, and I feel really stupid about I'm just that. saying I'm a hat guy. Totally wearing it. Oh, I wish I was a hat guy. But as one of our friends has said, ain't nothing to it but to do it, and I just haven't had a chance to do it. And by haven't had a chance to do it, I mean I've chickened out. So, All right, well, buddy, I think it's time for you to play the sounder. The sounder for... Are we doing news? There's no news, nope. really. Nope. Shield field report. That's pretty much what the episode is. That's what we should have... Yeah. Why yep. did I just... That's the sounder. I should have just gone with episode 97, shield field report. And then I wouldn't have had to look it up in the thesaurus. Doesn't matter. Mistakes here we are now. There, it's no use pointing fingers. <laughs> we've, we may have lost a hub or two because of it. Well, here we are, and... I'm ready. Are you? All right. Tell me where to start. Well, I think we should start at the beginning. I'm hoping that you got these in the order I sent them. So we are starting with a message that is uh, subject line, the dirty half dozen comes from agent Samantha. Is that your first one that I nope. sent you? What? I have Uh-oh. it. Oh, okay. Well, dirty half dozen. Hi agents. I didn't think that Ward is to be trusted. Besides being a murdering murderer who murders, he is also a lying liar who lies. He has been manipulating Coulson and the team from episode one of the show, and I believe that he's leaving Agent 33 behind with S.H.I.E.L.D. as a sleeper agent. Like Boschke, she has been conditioned to comply, and if she feels that she's in love with Ward, then she is twice over vulnerable to Ward's manipulations. 
He used Bashi to get the team into the Hydra base, and I wouldn't be shocked to learn that he would use her and dump her in a similar fashion. During that last phone call with Coulson, he was playing the sympathy card about 33's memories a little too hard for me to believe since the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. I can't trust Grant Ward until he proves otherwise. Agent Samantha, go ahead, play the sounder, buddy. Well, can I play half the sounder? Well, she got it right. She got a half right. Well, she totally nailed Well, she, Ward's a liar. Can't be trusted. Left 33 behind as a sleeper agent. But there's the whole idea that he's a lying liar who lies, and she's feeling like she's in love with Ward. Uh, he, to- I'm going ahead and doing it, and we're going to be doing this quite a bit, actually, this episode. Yeah, because the, the rules quite, are off. Well, quite honestly, there's a lot of people who have made predictions that we're reading their feedback before the prediction played out feedback from before i should say we're reading it afterward it's a jamboree it's a party yeah so with the benefit of hindsight agent samantha yes sleeper agent and if we had read this originally i would have disagreed but we didn't so now i have to agree because you were proven right the new prize winner of the day so there we go that's our first no prize winner of the day Next, we have Thoughts and Rest in Peace, The Bus. This comes from Agent Jersey Jim. It says, gentlemen, uh, another great podcast, and I would be remiss if I didn't point out a few things that you kind of glossed over or missed. You did bring up, and now this is, this is from the episode where the bus was destroyed, but says, uh, you did bring up the gun, the gun foo as Chloe, Chloe Bennett tweeted it, but you focused on questioning the legitimacy of her being able to do it rather than how awesome it was. And I think this is talking about that one take fa- uh, battle that she did. In this the, is totally on you. Yeah. I Okay. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. He says, it was May versus May. It was Black Widow versus Russian guys. Cool. It was beautifully done in what appeared to be one shot, Daredevil style, and for my money, one of the best scenes in the show so far staying with sky uh <laughs> is some uh dialogue here where she says i thought uh talking about um reina i thought her gift was spinning really fast to collect gold rings might just be my favorite reference of all time very closely followed by followed by he's like the candy man when she said ward's name and he shows up you did mention this but it bears repeating ward mistakes were made Fits by you, Ward. People were hurt. Fits by you, Ward. For a while there, we were a good team, weren't we? Sky, I'm still glad I shot you. Simmons, you should have aimed for the face. That was just brilliant. Simply brilliant. His next item here is the bus, the bus, the bus. This is more than just a sacrifice. And I do agree with you about the breakup of the family, but for my money, the bus was a character on the show. In much the same way that the Enterprise was on Star Trek or Serenity on Firefly, or since you brought it up, the Stargate was on SG-1. For me, it was more than just a mode of transportation, more than just a, hey, we need a place to hang out, use the bus. The first time I saw it, vertical land slash takeoff, or when May spun the engines around as a weapon to save Ward and Fitz in that sandwich episode, or when Fury was yelling at Coulson for damaging it, or when May did her fancy flying thing, it became so much more than a plane. It deserved a better send-off. I, for one, will truly miss it. Hashtag the bus lives. <laughs> then he goes on to say, I can't wait for Ultra, Age of Ultron. I also want to get your take on something. Given Joss's comments in that interview, once he leaves Marvel, do you think it will impact his brother and sister-in-law running our little show? 
He is referring to the interview where he talked about how the show was something that the movie makers were not happy about because it lessened the sacrifice of Coulson and also made it harder for them to work around. And yeah, so I don't think it will impact them running our little TV show. In fact, that last episode of our season, the SOS part one and two, I believe it was, it was uh, Jed and Marissa, right? They wrote part two. Yeah. Oh, well, they only wrote part two. I thought they wrote part one as well. I think they only wrote part two. Okay. Well, regardless, uh, they did a really, really good job with that, and I almost wish that they were writing more episodes rather than just acting as showrunners. Well, and and I think at this point, really, when you talk about who's given the vision on the you know throughout the season, I think Joss walked away. He was making Ultron. I yes, think that most of absolutely. the vision, most of the direction, and definitely the day to day operations were all Jed and Marissa, and they've done a fantastic job. And uh, they should be praised for that. And uh, they don't need Joss. High five, Jed. High five, Marissa. Yeah, and about the bus, I agree. The bus needed a better send-off. It went out like a hot mess. But it went out well. That's the other thing. It did its job, and it served its family. And that's why it died. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Next up, Daniel. Q. Dirty half dozen. Agent 417 here. Hey, guys, been loving your show for a while now. Downloading it is the first thing I do every Wednesday morning. I'm almost to the Daredevil and just watched Age of Ultron last night. I can't wait to hear your takes on the movie because there were parts I loved and some parts that needed more story. But that's not why I'm writing. In the last episode, when the original six invade the Arctic Hydra base, was it mentioned if they were using night-night rounds? I don't remember if it was stated or even inferred, but this leads to another question. Did Daisy just kill a room full of dudes or just knock them out until Gonzalez's bomber did the rest? Mm. She's becoming a more kick-butt operative, but what was her kill count up to? Not more than a handful? Did she just double it? I'd like that that where there's a difference between Daisy and May, Bobby, or Ward. I don't necessarily need her to have a strict no-kill clause, but I enjoy the dichotomy between those who can or will kill a bunch of fools and those who only kill when absolutely have to. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Agent 417. You know, I don't Agent know. Agent 417? He's Agent 417. Oh. Yeah, okay, I see. At the beginning. My bad. Yeah, I have no idea if they were night nights. I don't either. I don't think but it was hey, ever the said. bomber, you know. What? The bomber. And I do think there's a difference between Bobby and and May and, and uh, Daisy. She makes things quake. Beyond that, she, I mean, she's someone who came from regular life, though, and was thrown into this life where Bobby, Hunter, May, all those guys, they joined it, up into this life. But again, I know you have personally been have problems with how quickly she's adapted to this. I don't think I can understate this even more than I already have in the comics. She is Nick Fury's greatest pupil he daisy is handpicked by nick fury to be his successor at shield that's wonderful but it's a different character first of all and second of all it's not that she's adjusted to the life i am watching her become a skilled warrior in a matter of months 
And I've always it's always bothered me. It's always bothered me that you have people train and all of a sudden become a ninja warrior in a month of spending time up in a mountain with a master or something, you know? Um, even Karate Kid felt like a, kind of a cheat. Like two months? What was it between when he got beat up by the gang and got sent off into the tournament by Mr. Miyagi? You don't know how many cars he washed. I don't. That's just it is, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm way off and someone can train and become a skilled shot and become a skilled fighter who can hold her own against May in an actual fight and not just a training fight. I, I have a little bit of issue with that, but maybe I'm wrong. I've never trained to be a ninja warrior. I've never trained to be a secret agent. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's time for you to rant a little bit. Well, maybe it's time for me to actually read this email from Agent Kurt, who the subject line, Dirty Half Dozen, again. He says, Howdy, gentlemen. Agent Kurt here to talk about some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with you. I thought the last episode, Dirty Half Dozen, was really good and once again continues to have multiple moving parts in terms of the story and character development. But there's enough balance so things don't feel too rushed or cluttered. Uh, this is Ben speaking here. I'm, I'm curious. I'd like to hear, Agent Kurt, how you felt about the season finale. Because talk about character development and story and moving parts. Uh, he goes on to say, there were a lot of things I liked in this episode. So I'll try and keep, I'll try to highlight my favorite parts. One, seeing the old team back together when AC, May, Fitzsimmons, and Ward got on the bus and then Sky showed up. And it was like this perfect moment where it felt like old times, but under very different circumstances. I know it's only been one season since this team started out on their little adventures. But during that introduction and briefing, you could tell that they were, these were different seasoned characters who were once so close, but now are so far apart. Two, Sky kicking ass. While it is questionable as to how Sky could run around and kick so much without showing off any of her skills to that degree beforehand, I believe it worked. Like it was mentioned before, she was trained by May, and I think it works because she was focused and had a clear objective to save Lincoln. Three, Ward and his excuses. I thought it was interesting to see Ward try and explain what he did to the team, how he broke the family, and how he wanted forgiveness. While I don't want there to be any redemption for his character because I like him as a villain, at the same time, I do believe his words, that he is sorry that he split up the family and that he did have good times. Four, AC and Gonzalez's ulterior motives. I liked how both Coulson and Gonzalez needed each other for their individual purposes. Coulson needed Gonzalez's help to get the bus and his team to rescue his comrades, but also to obtain intel, while Gonzalez needed Coulson to bring in the powered individuals. I just love that there was more to their agreement and that there's still so much deceit in these times of peril. I also like seeing Coulson ta talking to Ma Maria Hill and revealing that he had intel on Loki's scepter, but also that the Theta Protocol was calling in the Avengers again, which was cool. I was sad to see Bakshi go. I liked him in a strange kind of way, but I guess he had to protect Ward. Oh, and I too love that small moment between Fitz and Simmons. Seeing them just on good terms just makes me smile. Thanks for reading my email. If it gets read, <laughs> Agent Kurt out. And at this point in time, guys, we don't get enough feedback that we have to pick and choose. Uh, we did have a lot of feedback in this episode, but that's because we had heavy episodes leading up to this with well Angel and we Ultron did literally it. have a technical issue that's right that one day we had to shut it down pretty quickly because of technical problems but um yeah so anyway we we have not reached a point where we can actually say well you know we have this one that's good and this one that's good which one um we can still well, do we everything could. 
we're just not. There are times when we'll get something that's just kind of really like there was one Daniel that it seemed like it was written by a really mean drunk. Uh, I don't know if I sent it on to you or not, but it was just kind of weird, all caps here and there and lots of cussing and swearing. Like if I were to even take out the cuss words, it would have left a hole that you couldn't even figure out what it meant. Huh. It was just a didn't, weird. Didn't weird, know my you know. dad listened. <laughs> so. Hey dad, how's it going? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's from agent Kurt. I wanted to say, Oh, back to the ward stuff. And I, I do think he regretted that he hurt people that he had grown fond of, but at the same time, he I don't think he regretted doing the stuff that he did because it was stuff he had to do. You know? At least in his mind. Betraying them, it was what he had to do. I mean, he was supposed to do that, right? Yeah. So. And I should digress for a moment and just say, my dad's not a drunk. <laughs> yeah. I don't know your dad, so I, I can't. But it was good for a quick laugh. Yeah. And a cheap yeah. one at that. So we got... Uh, ben, I have a problem. What's that? I literally have no idea where you want me to go next because you just went off the scorecard. Well, uh, I, I I thought these were going to you in, in the right order, but what what do you have next? Go ahead and read it. I have Black Widow rant next. That's next for me too. Okay, Black Widow rant from Agent Doug. One little thing about the Black Widow rant from Ultron. I think he's referring to me when you kind of took off your headphones, leaned back, and put your feet up and sipped some iced tea and let me just do my thing. Uh, yeah, okay. I still need to listen to that. Um, Scarlett Johansson was actually pregnant during filming of this movie. I'm betting that is why they changed her from an action-oriented character to Princess Peach. <laughs> yeah, but uh, – so here's my yeah, but that motorcycle thing was pretty action-packed. Yeah. And she is in the final battle doing action. I mean she's Princess Peach for really that much – not that much screen time. Yeah, but you don't film a movie in order. You know, I mean, that, yeah. that stuff could have been done earlier because it was more effects heavy. And then the, the human stuff could have been done later because there was not as much effects to have to deal with. You're just using color correction to make it look good. But, um, but yeah, she was pregnant. That is accurate. Yeah, she's not the only one. Um, uh, what's her name? Holly Berry was pregnant playing Storm in Days of Future Past. Well, she didn't do much. No. <laughs> No. I kid. I kid. All right, you're up, sir. Uh, okay, this is from Agent O'Neill. It's actually a recorded uh, feedback that I'm going to play that comes from his podcast, actually. Um, but I'm going to read the message that came along with it, and then I'm going to play this from their podcast, and then we will move on from there. But. He writes in and says, hello, agents, excellent podcast about Avengers Age of Ultron. We do have a big difference of opinion. I think we're probably on the same page, but my reaction to the death of Strucker off screen was very different to yours. Just for my favorite, just for my fellow agents, here's our discussion from our other podcast, Defenders TV podcast. I still can't believe they didn't bring in an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but the treatment of Strucker was unforgivable. And so here we're going to play this uh, three, three to four minute clip. Uh, from from that uh, from their their podcast. At least I think I'm going to. So with that, I'm just going to go on to my next point, which is a bit of a negative point. We're about 
about halfway halfway through the points that I had, the, the main points that I had, and it's the treatment of Baron von Strucker in this. Right, in case you don't know, go right back to our first episode of The Defenders. My favourite character in the Marvel Universe is Nick Fury. He is my absolute favourite character, and his big bad from back in the 60s. In fact, back in his war days as Sergeant Fury was Baron von Strucker. He's been around right back to, I think, issue five or six of, uh, of Sergeant Fury, the comic book. So that's going back a long time before I was born, even. Uh, and then we get the final introduction of this character. I remember him being cast and when he looks great. It's, a, it's a, a great version of the character. And he turns into a one-line spewing, fumbling bad guy who gets killed off screen. It was totally, totally against what I wanted to see for this character. He was just a, a, a comedy sidekick, essentially, just a bit of a joke, and then dies off screen. They go, oh, that's Baron von Strucker dead, and then they move on. It's an awful treatment of the character for me, and I'm just not happy. No, that, not that's, happy that. that's one of my points as well. I think uh, von Strucker would never have ended on a whimper like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't imagine... Uh, given the instructive and seminal comics from um, the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. that he wouldn't have an escape plan. I mean, this guy is a calculated mastermind on equal with uh, Nick Fury. As such, you would expect him to have all these backup plans to be able to get a shield heli carrier out of Mothball in order to escape. The yeah. things that uh, Nick Fury is doing on the other side, you would quite reasonably expect Von Strucker to do the same and I, I, I think that fell completely flat to me yeah. Um, yeah. it was a really poor treatment of a ca- big central character um, from um, S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury's mm-hmm. uh, arcs I'm absolutely with you on that, that was one of my negatives yeah. because as well, I was just really looking forward to seeing this character brought to life in the same way that had been done with the Red Skull and obviously then with the Winter Soldier, just that central battle between Hydra uh, and S.H.I.E.L.D. And for me, I felt as though this potentially hits the nail in the coffin of Hydra slowly being made redundant or mm-hmm. reduced in the MC universe as we're starting to, to move it to other worlds, into outer space, um, to astral planes. I'm not complaining as <laughs> such, but um, I still also do like some of the the grounded, back-to-earth elements of, of, of these characters just as much as the astral planes of Doctor Strange right. 2016. Yeah, and so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. Definitely with you on that. Yeah, so a bit, of, a bit of nerd tears over here of the death of, uh, of, of Baron von Strucker. Um, yeah, I think. I, well, we we know Josh Whedon is pulling a lot of the Ultimates mm-hmm. um, in this. For the MCU is heavily influenced by the Ultimates from the costumes to yeah. to a lot of even the backstory. I don't know Strucker is survives. In the Ultimate Universe, yeah, Shield and the Ultimate Universe is a very different organization than they are in uh, in. 616 is the regular uh, Marvel Universe. They're a very different organisation. Strucker really do- it doesn't play much of a part in that version of uh, of Nick Fury's um, character. But he pay- plays such a big part to the creation of Nick Fury. And, you know, the- he's the opposite side of the coin to Nick Fury for the most part for so many years. And in-, in that, as I say, a little bit of nerd, nerd tears here for-, for his death because he's such a central character to Nick Fury's past for me and just a little bit m- misused in the film. He could have been ex- 
Hydra leader. He didn't need to be called Baron Strucker. Now they can't use that character again, which is unfortunate for me. Yeah, and I, I, I think, I think what we'll poor probably Irene, end up getting. Poor Irene's giving me the saddest puppy dog look here, going <laughs> looking at the fact that I've been disappointed by Baron Strucker. Ah. But thanks, Irene. No, because you're being a plucky little trooper about it, but I know it's upset you. <laughs> <laughs> so the whiskey cabinet. <laughs> And yeah, so that was uh, from the the podcast, um, the Defenders podcast. What did they call that? No, Defenders TV podcast. I'm just confused. What? Why don't we have a whiskey cabinet? Um, I don't. Know. I'm. I don't know because I have no room for it with all my comic books in this room. Maybe that's why. Well, and as you found out earlier tonight, I haven't finished reading Nick Sergeant Nick Fury in the Helen Commandos. So we were recording about a different podcast about that. But so I don't know about issue number five. I do. I've read it, but I'm not going to tell you. Humble brag. <laughs> All right. We have an email here from Agent Lester T. Jester, and this is Ooh. one that we tried to read. I think I want to say we tried this four times maybe five and and just couldn't get through the entire message without the the without hydra basically trying to shut us down um and we tried and tried and tried and finally we just recorded a a quick thanks for listening bye Uh, well you recorded something because i couldn't yeah yeah but uh so now here we are again with this and i actually was re-listening to the end of that episode and um i i actually was referring to this earlier in that episode saying, yeah, and then we have some things coming up that are people who disagree- disagreed with me. And then we never read them. <laughs> so. Hey, I do need to do, do, do my quick caveat and remind everyone that Agent Lester T. Jester is the official jester of Welcome to Level 7. All other jesters claiming to be so are lying liars who lie. And you know what jesters do? They take something and use it to you know point out truths. And and so this is, I think, Agent Lester here is trying to point out something that I've done wrong or gotten wrong. And later on, after we've gotten through more feedback about this topic, I'll explain how my thinking has kind of changed on this topic. In some ways, it's more changed to go sideways. I haven't gone, you know, done a 180 or anything like that, but I have gone sideways on a little bit of my feelings. Well, about- and let's remember, too, there's been a lot of talk about this in general. Yeah. I mean, I saw on Facebook somebody point out the fact that um, – Captain America's not riding the bike on the toys. So there's a lot of discussion going on. Well, the, I just saw that playset today when I was grocery shopping, and it is directly the playset of the motorcycle coming out of the Quinjet. It is Black Widow's scene that they have made this toy based on her uh, scene where she's driving down the city and coming out of the Quinjet, but it is Captain America on the motorcycle. And... No. So that's that's fair? one that's a whole nother thing of yeah. the toys and the representation of of Natasha in the marketing of the film. Well, and let's remember though, when it comes to the toys, toy makers aren't trying to represent the film. Toy makers aren't trying to make a statement. No, they're trying toy to make a dollar. Trying to sell toys. Yeah, but I, I understand. I mean. And here's going on the toys, then we'll get to the email because this is two different topics for for me anyway. Because for me, one is the use of Black Widow in marketing and in merchandising, and the other is the usage of Black Widow as a character. And as we've seen her in various movies now, 
But I remember, and I don't know if this is the same thing for you, Daniel, but some of my most prized toys in my action figure collection were Lady J, Jinx, and the couple different Princess Leias that I had. Because female action figures were very, very hard to come by. Well, I did have Lady J, and she was always nearby Flint because they're a pair. Yeah, yeah, but my thing was... Princess Leia I didn't have until age 20 when I got married. <laughs> I had a couple. I had her in her Bespin outfit. I had her in her um, Hoth outfit. And I don't think I had her from anything from Return of the Jedi. And my dog, no, my dog didn't eat the the original Princess Leia, but her head got popped off. My issue but. is I was a poor kid. So if I had to choose between a Princess Leia and a Han, it was going to be Han. Well, my thing was when I would actually sit down to play is that my female figures were very, very few and far between. And so they were put in the rotation far more often than any other characters except for my favorites. So I had my favorite group of four or five characters, and then I would have the female characters that I only had four or five, and then the other ones would kind of rotate in and out. But I I had to, you know, I wanted to have girls there because in real life you had half boys, half girls, right? And so... That's something that, as I've been watching that conversation happen, I'm I'm going back and I'm remembering that I that they're just I didn't have a lot of of women toys. And again, merchandising comes down to you put out there what people are going to buy, and toy makers felt like okay, little boys are going to be getting this, so Princess Leia is a main character. We'll put her out there, but it's for the boys, right? No, not right, because my sister also wanted to play with Star Wars guys. Now, listen to my language, though. What did I just call them? I call them guys. My collection of Star Wars guys. But, um, yeah, and so I was so glad that I had Lady J and that I could have a girl G.I. Joe with my boy G.I. Joes, you know. And I always wanted to have Scarlet, but they never came back to her. Um, And I wanted to have uh, Cover Girl, even, because she came with a cool, cool tank. You know who brought Lady J to life, right? I, I I on the big screen? I don't. On the big screen? Don't know. Mm-hmm. No. You don't? No, I don't. That last movie? Oh, oh, oh. You mean in the... I, I'm thinking of the cartoon that had uh, Don no, Johnson. No, I'm talking <laughs> the big screen. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I totally need to go back and watch this movie again in a whole new light. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be watching and just being, hey, girl. Hey, girl. Yeah. All right. Can, can anyway, I actually put was... in and read this? Yeah, go ahead. Because here's my thing. I'm the one who tried to read this four times. (laughs) So I just need the sense of completion. Okay. Well, let's do it. Agent Lester T. Jester here. I'm a little disappointed in your rant on the mishandling of Widow in Age of Ultron. She is definitely the dominant personality between the fragile banner and her, which his visions were meant to bring doubt to our heroes and question their motives. By showing her the graduation ceremony, the killing a guy was the final exam. It gave her doubt that all she was was a killing machine, a monster. The vision created this insecurity, and being with Bruce and having a family with the safe house reaffirmed that she was more than that, and it made her stronger in the end. She was Banner's white knight. The kidnapping and imprisonment was a way to get Widow and Ultron in private. Widow has the power to get information. The only person Ultron should have told his master plan to was Widow. It saddens me to see that you would pick out details of the story without context, but then you like the shallow gimmick of Quicksilver and Days of Future Past more than a full, fre- full fresh character. 
for shame. S Agent Lester out. Ben, for shame on you. You like that shallow gimmick of Quicksilver. Well, I'm wondering if we have just lost our official jester of the podcast. But I really like the shallow gimmick, too. I, I did. I like the shallow gimmick. It's a great scene. It's what they called in my film school a haunting moment. A haunting moment is something that they say every screenplay and every movie should have. And that's a moment that sticks with you out of the context of the film, but that it sticks with you because it's so good. And that's with with, uh, Days of Future Past. That scene has stuck with me. And when I think about that scene, I like that scene. And yes, it is taking it out of context. Um, and it is, I, I wouldn't call it a shallow gimmick. It was fun. It was a lot of fun to watch. And that character had, I, to me, more charisma than the, 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 uh, Quicksilver from Age of Ultron. And I wanted to see more of him. And I don't know why there wasn't more of him. And honestly, Days of Future Past would have been done 40 minutes earlier if they had just taken him with them when they went to go stop the assassination attempt. But they didn't because they needed to flesh out the movie and, and get Truth. to the You know, the you know what stuff. I do find interesting here? One of the things that he points out what? is Black Widow would be the one to get the information. This is two movies in a row where the monologuing is to Black Widow. It's also Loki the first, and Ultron. It's also the first time I've heard anyone mention that about Black Widow in that scene. That well, she's you know the what our gesture needs. Okay. <laughs> The new prize winner of the day. That's yours, though, not mine. Because <laughs> I still disagree about the 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 uh, the mishandling of Widow. I still believe she was mishandled. Although, like I said, I've taken a sidestep on on some of that. So we'll we'll get to that though. Uh, let's see what's next. Oh, Black Widow. <laughs> Black Widow from Agent uh, Jessica. Hello, agents. I wanted to write in again about Age of Ultron, specifically Black Widow in response to the podcast. Ben said that, quote, they turned her into a love interest and a damsel in distress whose value is measured by her ability to have children. I know a lot of people agree with you, and I actually felt the same way the first time I saw the movie. I didn't really touch on it in my Age of Ultron feedback, though, because when I watched it the second time, I decided to try and look at it a little differently. Trying to see other possible interpretations for things actually helped me enjoy the movie more, so I thought I'd share my thoughts. First, the love interest thing. While I was still not super excited about the love interest with Banner, kissing him and pushing him off the cliff to get the other guy was probably my favorite result of that storyline, I didn't have as big of a problem with it as when I did when I saw it the first time. I saw it as a way for them to do something with Banner when he was not hulking out or building Ultron. But I thought it also added an interesting layer to Black Widow. We haven't really seen much of the human side of Black Widow, just glimpses here and there, similar to Agent May, actually, because she always is trying to be someone else or do something awesome uh, or, or do some awesome super spy butt kicking. Showing that she could fall in love doesn't make her less cool in my mind, even if it is playing to a cliche a bit. In my mind, it makes her more relatable and reminds us that she is human underneath all her awesomeness. Nothing about this suggests weakness to me. To me, it shows strength, given what we know about her past. The fact that she is allowing herself to be open to the possibility of love seems to be her finding the strength to be who she wants to be, and not the person that others made her. 
Like I said before, I think this is just adding another layer to a complex character that I don't know if we would have seen in this movie otherwise. Second, the kidnapping slash damsel in distress thing. Ben mentioned that she should have been the one to save Banner or Hawkeye instead of being the one who was kidnapped. While I agree that would have been more interesting and fun to see, and that I was also disappointed that she was captured at all, she really was the only one that could be kidnapped effectively other than Hawkeye. I don't think there was any way they were going to do anything to show Hawkeye needed saving in a situation like this due to the events in the first Avengers movie. Quicksilver sacrificing himself to save Hawkeye, who was trying to protect a child, had more impact than I think him being rescued from Ultron would have had. And it wouldn't make sense to do both, really. If Banner was kidnapped, he could have just hulked out and then Ultron wouldn't have had anyone to talk to. And honestly, I don't I didn't see a reason for this whole scene other than for Ultron to talk to someone so we could get exposition. However, part of me wonders if there is a missing scene or something that would have made this more interesting. Probably not, maybe, but maybe. As someone who has loved Black Widow and her cool fighting scenes since we first saw them in Iron Man 2, I was disappointed at the lack of a really cool standalone action sequence from her like we are used to seeing. But I think we actually get a lot of character development or insight to make up for it. Also, when I remembered that Scarlett Johansson was pregnant while filming, which is kind of ironic, actually, I was more okay with it and thought they did a good job shooting around that. Third, the sterilization thing. I actually didn't have an issue with this revelation at either viewing. It made me feel for her, and I was actually quite surprised at getting sterilized with the graduation ceremony. I thought it was executing someone like you guys did, but it made the surgical stuff going on in her hallucination a, a little, make a little more sense, I guess. Similar to the love interest storyline, I thought that this bit of information just added another layer to her character. This obviously is something that she has struggled with for a long time and has impacted her decision-making when dealing with others, both professionally and in her personal life. Her comment to Bruce about being a monster because she couldn't have kids showed us a realistic and human emotion that I know a lot of women have when dealing with not being able to physically have children. While I don't think most would use the term monster to describe themselves, I do think a common self-description is feeling broken somehow, which also leads to being worried about the reactions of others when they find out. With that in mind, I saw this conversation between Nat and Bruce as a way for her to get him to realize that neither of them would be able to have the ideal family life, at least in the traditional sense, because both have physical issues that would prevent it. But that is not a good excuse to not be, try to be to not be open to trying to have a relationship. To me, having her open up about such a personal thing and being willing to even try to have a romantic relationship shows that she still has hope that she can find happiness and gives us much more depth to an awesome female action hero. I read a review posted on themarysue.com by Sam Meggs that talked about this scene and pointed out a few other things that I agree with for the most part. Quote, The thing people seem to be the most disappointed about with regards to Black Widow's representation in Ultron is a side plot about her distress over her sterilization in the Red Room. But where some viewers read that moment as a devaluing of her self-worth because of her inability to have children, I interpreted it more to mean that Nat felt an anger and a moroseness over having her ability to make these choices taken from her at such a young age. An age when you shouldn't be able to voluntarily consent to such a procedure. Nat's experiences in the Red Room left her without agency, brainwashed, coerced, and made out of necessity for survival into the weapon she is today. 
And part of that involves her lack of remorse for killing. I think a moment of vulnerability for Nat doesn't make her any less a strong female character, but instead helps shape her into what we're all constantly demanding anyways. A complex and nuanced female character with emotions and a traumatic past and an imperfect reaction to present circumstances. And that's another point worth making. The side plot is an incredibly brief character moment for Nat in an otherwise action and quip-heavy film. And frankly, I'm glad they took the time to give Nat any backstory or characterization at all, especially given the fact that they haven't had the opportunity to do so in her own solo film. But Bruce, Steve, Tony, Clint, and Thor also have moments of darkness, vulnerability, sadness, and self-doubt in Ultron. And I would argue both Bruce and Steve's are equally about their inability to have a stable family or future. Bruce because of his awkward hulking, and Steve because of his dedication to war. End quote. So back to Agent Jessica. I know that was a lot. Sorry. I really just wanted to present this other perspective to the whole Black Widow piece of the movie since she is one of my favorite characters in the MCU. I'm still hoping for a movie so we get to see more of her past, including the whole Budapest thing with Hawkeye. But I feel like we did get a lot of insight into her character in this movie, even if it was not really what we were expecting. Thanks, as always, for the great podcast. I look forward to it every week. Agent Jessica. Is this is this the time? The time for what? For me to just sit back and... No, not yet. We've got some more emails about this. Um, And I'll say this, is that this conversation is actually really nice because we're getting some really nuanced and in-depth thoughts and and opinions about this. And some of the stuff that I've been seeing has, like I said, kind of changed my feelings sideways, although I still feel the way I do about another element here. But I'll kind of to her points here about the damsel in distress thing. Um, she's saying it might have been more interesting to see her rescue them. Um, I just, I look at the possibility of even Tony being the one who was captured by Ultron and Tony being the one who's rescued by the team and Black Widow and having the monologuing happening to Tony or to Bruce, who's basically Tony's you know brother and, and making... Bruce, in some ways, Ultron's uncle. But, you know, to put him in a place where he's like in a public area and if he breaks out, he will hurt people, you know, or, or something like that. And then you have to rescue him because he can't hulk out. I, I don't know. But, yeah, there was, there was a lot to this this email. And I, I don't even know where to start if we're going to like start re- replying to specific things here other than uh, you. she's right here. The kissing him and pushing him off the cliff to get the other guy, that works. That works. And I don't think it would work as well if there wasn't a relationship between them. Um, I don't know. but Well, and we've seen her kiss an Avenger before. And it felt like kissing your brother, if you know what I mean. Well, kind of. I mean, there really wasn't heat between her and Bruce. I mean, her and, and Steve. And Steve, yeah. Yeah, and here you definitely get heat, but it's because there's a personal connection. It's not because it's something base. It's something where it's got depth to it. And it is true in a lot of ways that she is the dominant personality in that romantic relationship. I think that's something that that Lester had mentioned. Um, My oldest hates this ship, hates it bad, but that's because my oldest believes that Hawkeye and Black Widow should be together, um, which is clearly not going to happen. But um, the Here's thing is, my, when you think about oh. the relationship, it's an interesting pairing because they are contrasts. They he are. lacks confidence. And she's overconfident. Well, and she brings out the contrast as well of how she says all my other friends 
are trying, you know, are picking fights to prove that they, they can win or whatever. And you're the only one who doesn't fight because you can win. She's not just talking about her other friends. She's talking about herself. Absolutely. She fights to win and she will win. And he doesn't because he will win. And there's there's some good. It's some nice. It's a good dichotomy. It's a good dichotomy. All right. Is the next transmission for about scars? Um, I think so. Okay. No. Hello, agents. No. I'm it's Age of Ultron. Uh, we had one more Age of Ultron one. Oh, seeing from Agent I'm totally Dare. out of order. Ah, uh, sorry. Okay. This All right. There we go. Subject: Age of Ultron from Agent Dare. You want to read it or want me to? Yeah, I've got a from somebody else. Okay. Hello, Agents. Age of Ultron from someone else, so you should go ahead. Hello, Agents. Thanks for your review of Age of Ultron, and I really enjoyed the movie, but I have many of the same nitpicks as you both did, especially about Black Widow becoming a damsel in distress. I I keep wanting a strong female superhero to share with my three daughters. It looks like I will have to wait a while longer. The other main issue for me was that the movie maintained the same tone for its entire length. There was not a buildup to the great climax, so the climax did not feel as epic as it truly was. This could be shown back to the first Avengers movie, and I feel like a, P- a Peter Jackson director's cut. Uh, my f- favorite geek moment in the entire movie was Cap moving Mjolnir and Thor's little flinch. I also like Veronica and the jackhammer punches to Hulk, and as well as the Hulk's realization of what he had done when he climbed out of the rubble. Very poignant. This also sets up him ha- leaving to be alone at the end of the movie. As to the Infinity Gem, I agree that the Mind Gem should have been left as it was and magically shrunk down to go on Vision's brow. But it does set up for the Tesseract to be opened to reveal the Space Gem and the Aether to be coalesced into the Reality Gem. And I'm excited to see how the Soul and Time Gems are brought into which movies in the future. Thanks again, Dare. All right, we do have another Age of Ultron feedback. Okay. From Agent Kurt. I know you did your review of, on Age of Ultron, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on the film in case you covered aspects that I would ask in question form. Anyway, I just wanted to say that I really like the film and have seen it three times so far. And while it does have issues, there is far too much fun in this film to be considered a failure, as some have labeled it. Since it came out early in the UK, I've been waiting for ages to hear your thoughts because I value them that much. I just wanted to touch upon a few things in your review. One, I agree with Daniel about the film's intro feeling... A bit too CGI heavy. I saw the film in IMAX and the CGI becomes more apparent. And after the brilliance of Winter Soldier's practical effects and hand-to-hand combat, this film felt very heavy on visual effects. But considering the scale of the film and the powers, it couldn't be done without it. Two, I understand Ben's issue with Black Widow. I was surprised that she was taken hostage and needed to be rescued, considering how badass she is. That being said, I thought the scene between her and Banner was a strong one, especially when she mentions being sterilized. Not being able to conceive children is a sad thing to me, and it shows how efficient the people were when it came to Widow's training. I think her calling herself a monster was a bit much, though. That stuff aside, I really enjoyed the film. There was a fun factor in fan service that cannot be denied. Whether it was Hawkeye's extra character development or Vision's wonderful scenes and dialogue or the slow motion action sequence of the defenders uh, of the Avengers defending that one spot, this film, when it was on fire, it was blazing hot. I would put it on the top five Marvel films, but definitely below Avengers and Winter Soldier. Agent Kurt out. <laughs> Wait, let's <laughs> the last line you skipped it. it says, I know this email is late, but I hope you get around to reading it. Uh, we were later, so sorry. <laughs> Hydra! Oh, it was not fun fighting Hydra that day. No, it was a very frustrating night. 
But anyway, it means we get a good full uh, reaction episode this this time around. So, hey, I just found another piece of feedback about Age of Ultron. Okay, from Agent Mark. All right. I have to admit, up until this weekend, I have been more than been more disappointed with Agents of Shield than a convention of Sorbos. Let me tell you why. In the UK, we are around four weeks behind our American cousins. We do not even we did not even receive Agent Carter on any channel. If there is a tie-in episode of Agents of Shield, we won't know for weeks. And episodes of Agent of Shield have been lackluster since the break on scale with Gotham, but not as bad as the one hundred. Wait a minute, Ben. Did we read this before? Yeah, we read this. What are you doing? Okay, I, good point. I asked you what was what was one hundred. Yeah, exactly. It was like a time loop going on right there. Yeah. Well, again, Agent Mark, you still need to complain about Agent Carter. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But fortunately, you are not missing any kind of crossover elements between Agent Carter and Agents of Shield, like we thought there would be. And that might be a a complaint about. Agent Carter is that there wasn't any real tie-in to Agents of Shield um, other than the episode that they appeared in in Agents of Shield that Agent Carter and, and the Howling Commandos appeared in. But but you're not missing anything in that way. So when the DVD comes your way or when Netflix picks it up or whatever, you'll uh, you'll be able to watch those eight episodes in a nice self-contained way. So. And the important thing is we didn't miss this email. Right. Twice. We didn't miss it twice. Yeah. All right. So this is uh, – we're getting to some episode uh, scars, scars feedback here. So this is from Agent Diana. Hello, agents. I may be alone on this, but I was pretty underwhelmed by the Theta Protocol reveal. And that was when they revealed that the Theta Protocol was actually the helicarrier that they were getting for Nick Fury to bring in and save the day. In Avengers Age of Ultron. I understand the excitement over the tie-in with the movie, but I was frustrated that there was no explanation for why the fairly mundane task of rebuilding part of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s fleet was so secret. Coulson became director of S.H.I.E.L.D. right after most of their assets were either confiscated or destroyed, so recovering vehicles and equipment is an expected part of his job. I wouldn't think a project like restoring a helicarrier and staffing it would be something he'd have to hide from anyone inside S.H.I.E.L.D., especially not from people in his inner circle like May. Even Fury's connection to the project shouldn't have been an issue, as there's no reason that Coulson would need to disclose that he was acting at Fury's request to anyone who didn't already know that Fury is still alive. My finger is over the button, but we are not done with the email. It's also baffling to me that this is the project they chose to be what sparked Pointy Shield's coup because it moved a lot of the resolution of the conflict between the two shields off screen. We don't even see the Pointy Shield board until after they had already come to terms with what Theta Protocol turned out to be. That's a strange thing to do for a major piece of plotline they spent all season building. I can understand why the writers wouldn't want to spoil the surprise that Shield had a helicarrier to send in to help the Avengers. But I just don't think that the setup for the surprise makes much sense. As for Ben's question about whether the show could complicate things for the Inhumans movie, I think that's a real concern. If I were Marvel, I'd tell Jed and Marissa to avoid exploring or even mentioning persons and places that might be featured in the Inhumans movie until the script is finalized. So until we get closer to the summer of 2019, 
The more isolated the afterlife community is from the rest of the human world, the easier things are likely to be. Thanks for all the hard work on the podcast, Diana. The new prize winner of the day. She brings up a great point. Why is that even a secret that he is building a helicarrier? It's a cool reveal. It's an awesome tie-in. But at the same time, when you stop to think about it, dude, isn't that your job now as director of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Right? Yeah. Hey. And why not tell May? That's why she won the no prize. Yeah. Why not tell May? You're you're absolutely right. He should have just told May in the first place. This is not him creating a new secret team. This is him saying, hey, we might need a helicarrier. Let's build a helicarrier. Yeah. And this is why she wins the no prize. Absolutely. I hope that the no prize is not getting watered down because we're giving out so many, but we're reading so many feedback messages. Well, you know what? We've earned some. We didn't give one for Age of Ultron episode. We didn't give one for last episode, right? We don't give them for the comic episodes. So we have some to go around. And it's a jubilee, a jamboree. It is. A fiesta, a party. So let's bring them on. All right. Next email. Is this my reaction to Ward kidnapping Bobby? It is indeed from Agent Randy. Because I need to read this from Agent Randy and see if me and him are on the same page. Let's do it. What up, agents? I was one of Stand with Ward Nut. I was one of the Stand with Ward nutcases on Twitter, but kidnapping Bobby was the last draw for me. He at least shot Bobby with a freeze gun, and he keeps shooting her with it. I don't know if that is even healthy. What is up with Ward or 33, Lady Hydra, as I like to call her, doing this? Well, speculation from other agents around ShieldNet reports that Agent 33 was being brainwashed, and Bobby, to protect her cover, had to let Hydra brainwash 33. So Ward and 33 are going to brainwash her to get back at her. I think Ward may send Bobby to go after Simmons for trying to kill him, or worse, go after his former buddies that hate him now. This poop is not Hydra-motivated in any way. I think Ward, as well as 33, took everything personal. Sky dumping him with a gunshot to the stomach, me fighting him with a nail gun, Fitz trying to tackle him in a Quinjet, <laughs> Simmons trying to rip him up with a bomb but killing Boschke instead, revenge is a dish best served cold. So who may be the replacement for Triplet, etc.? Well, I have this weird feeling with Sky being pulled between S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Inhumans. I have a feeling Lincoln is going to come it go whichever way Sky goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though Lincoln was put on the index and not a fan of it, he did react like Sky's mom. He did not react. He did like not Sky. react like Sky's mom. He went with it. I think when Sky realizes what her mom really is, Lincoln will be siding with Sky. So what does that mean? Say hello to Agent Lincoln Campbell. I mean, Sky is the only Shield agent with powers. She needs another powered person who understands her. I mean, electric powers are just as cool as vibration powers. They need all the help they can get. Electrical powers on a Hydra thug is a fight scene I want to see. Agent Randy. Go ahead. Do it. Just do it. Ready? Yep. Doing it now. The new prize winner of the day. Again, well this, came, this came to us Friday, May 8th. Before we saw that Lincoln was basically going to work with Sky and Before she had her secret warriors. True. So, yeah, that's why this is kind of fun to read through these because we have hindsight now. We know. We know. So, all right, let's see. 
Um, this is oh, this is from Agent. Uh, we said his name wrong, but from Agent Gabor. Uh, he said, hello again, my fellow agents. Thank you for the no prize. Really made my day. You did say my name wrong, but it's fine. You actually made it sound like I was Asgardian, which is cool. <laughs> now, about that incident that happened on the other side of the border. Loved the movie, laughed at the jokes, and was sad to see Quicksilver die. Then felt weird when I st- <laughs> stopped laughing on the next joke minutes, a- minutes after his passing. Also, it was weird to learn that there is a country right next to Hungary that has been left out of the maps other than Latveria and Simcaria, of course. Man, I live in a weird place. Ultron's world-ending device, it was kind of weird, but I think he designed it in that way, so Tony Stark, or rather that pesky phantom AI who didn't let him have his launch code, couldn't access his Doom Island control wirelessly and drop it after it only ascended a few centimeters. Regarding the last episode of S.H.I.E.L.D., I just hope Bobby makes it out fine. Nuff said, keep up the good work. Sincerely, Agent 42. And I will say, hey, Bobby made it out. Good stuff. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, that is kind of an interesting thing. We were talking about how, why didn't, why didn't, uh, why wasn't the controls for the world-ending device that Ultron built wirelessly available? Well, it would make sense. You, you don't want the other wireless guy who's running around the internet blocking the, the launch codes to be able to access it himself and i have a theory and ultron wouldn't know that he's vision yet when he was doing his plan so ready ready doofenshmirtz evil incorporated (laughs) yeah i love that show i don't think it's on netflix off the air bud i know i know Okay. Where do you want me to go next? Well, let's see. I think we'll skip the uh, uh, good idea. Yeah, because we did get a note from Agent Petra that um, was thanking us again for the the no prize we sent as well. But um, well, I'll just go ahead and read it. Well, here's the real cool thing about this note. Do you know that some no prizes become yes prizes? That's what I liked about that. Yeah, and and for this, I, I mean, I'm going to go and read it because this is really one of the reasons why we do, well, first of all, the no prize thing, and, but second of all, listener feedback, and, and third of all, the podcast itself. So let's go ahead and read this. This is from Agent Petra. It says, hello, guys. I understand that Agent, I'm going to say it wrong, but I understand that Agent Gabor won the, the no prize for explaining the ending of Avengers. I couldn't contradict him because I just can't find a loophole. It's perfect. There's absolutely no disproof. I just wanted to thank you guys. Your appreciation means so much for him and therefore for me as well. I'm proud of him. As a yes prize, I took him to watch Avengers 2 with me and a well-deserved bonus. I didn't laugh at it like last time, save the actual jokes. For one, I think it was better than the first anyway. And, oh, come on. He would have just explained to me the core concept of the whole history of the universe and how I was wrong and how it's totally logical and how blah, blah, blah. The point is, it was priceless to see his surprise face when you read his letter aloud, agreed, and decided to give the no prize to him. Made his day. I know it doesn't mean much for a lot of people. And maybe it's really just like a handshake, but trust me, a simple gesture like a handshake can be very gratifying. So I just want to thank you. And as much as it can really be really annoying that he's always right, I'm still super proud of him. So, and then she said, uh, you pronounce his name pretty good, by the way. So, uh, here's, here's the thing with, um, with, with that is, you know, that, that is the point. 
this is a conversation and we were trying to involve people. I like to make people happy. It's part of one of the, you know, my love languages. It's part of being a firstborn, you know, but, uh, anyway, the point is here. Uh, thank you for letting us know. And, and feedback like this really is, is great to get. So, yeah, it is. And you never know. That's the sort of thing that gets us pumped up. It is the sort of thing that gets us pumped up. Shall we go to good idea? Um, no. Oh, man. These well, are totally not in order. You have failed me, Agent. No, it should be... Actually, good idea would fit next because then the next three go together. So All go right. ahead and do good idea, and then I'll do the next three. Good Which, idea. I just had a thought while I was listening to your last podcast. What is your thoughts on this ideal? Idea. I think we could use Age, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to do the unveiling of new casting choices in the next MCU movies. I'll give you an example. I know that Benedict Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange, but the way I found out, didn't I don't even remember, maybe Twitter? Who knows? I don't know how I found out. But how cool would it have been if on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. someone had to get surgery and the Doctor came in? And it's Doctor Strange. They could be on a mission, and Carol Danvers shows up to help them on a mission or something. They could shoot it so that even though they are on the show, they won't have any effect on, on their movie. Like how Lady Sif being an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. won't affect any of Thor's movies. They could have a Peter Parker in high school with, small, with a small scene with Coulson just to show who the actor was going to be that was chosen. And Marvel could announce it on their Twitter feed. How many more people would watch Season of S.H.I.E.L.D. season for three, first episode, if they knew that this is where they find out who Spider-Man will be, rather than just a tweet from Marvel? What do you guys think? Well, what I do love you it. think, Daniel? I think it's a good idea. I think and, it's the kind of thing we were actually secret. expecting, right? Yeah. Totally would be awesome. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is some lack of communication on some ways between the movie side and the TV side, as we've heard. But at the same time, something like Carol Danvers being a pilot on a mission in a season three episode, that's kind of cool. That's kind of a really neat little thing. They haven't even started shooting her movie, but when they cast her, just pay her a little extra to do this little TV show. You know, there's some cool possibilities there. Um, I don't know about Cumberbatch doing that because he is really busy doing other things. But someone who's not busy, someone who's a, a new actor on the scene, like someone who might be playing Spider-Man. I don't know who is going to play Spider-Man. Um, I don't know if they know who's going to play Spider-Man. But if they get the right person, that might be cool. It might be really cool. So, All yeah. right. Shall we make uh, connections wait. to the greatest film franchise of all time now? <laughs> Answer to the subject headline, good idea. Answer, yes. 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 All right. So this comes from Agent Jim. And these are three short emails. So I'm going to go ahead and read them all together as one. Subject, Empire Strikes Back reference. You guys missed a major Empire Strikes Back reference in the finale, unless you just forgot to mention it. The scene where Jiang is going to is trying to convince Sky to join her so they can rule the galaxy as father and son, um, I mean mother and daughter, sounded all too familiar. He goes on to say, also, a lot has been made about the Star Trek and Star Wars references, but was anyone else getting a diehard vibe when Mac was sneaking around the ship after everyone else had been captured or killed? Yippee-ki-yay! Finally, 
One last one. I found an interesting parallel between Ward and Cal. Both were monsters and would be seen as evil by any outsider. Both were to some extent products of their environment and their painful past. The main difference was that Cal did not use this as an excuse. While Ward constantly had a pity party about how horrible his life was, Cal understood a very basic principle. While our past can be used to explain our actions, we are all still ultimately responsible for them. It was this basic understanding that I felt made Cal more redeemable and worthy of the Tahiti Protocol. I love that. That's really I nice. I do too. It's very and succinct. It, I like the way he puts that. Cal understood a very basic principle. While our, pra- while our past can be used to explain our actions, we are all still ultimately responsible for them. Great feedback. Love it. Excellent. Love it. Uh, back to that second comment, the diehard vibe. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe it was more of an under siege vibe. <laughs> oh, man, you did not just do that. Did I? I think I did. Wow. Well, it is appropriate. Is it not? It's a boat. It is a boat running around. I can't believe I pulled that out without even thinking about it. <laughs> I feel really bad about my college years now. Okay. We got some website uh feedback that i wanted us to to get into there's three of them that we um we haven't covered much website comments on the show usually we'll end up responding to it on the website sometimes we forget but i got these three that i pulled out so you want to do the the first one there or do you want me to because you're not yeah i want you to i'm lost oh okay subject website comments yep got it i'll do the first one all right from matt on scars I like the morning wake-up scenes. I think if they had spaced them out over seasons, I'd like to see more. I could picture Hunter slamming his alarm against a wall, yelling, Bloody hell! and waking up to Cocoa Pops. Pops. Or Fitz already awake with his finger over the alarm button, ready to push it as soon as it begins. Character quirks can make a show. Very nice. I love that. That's a great little comment. Uh, From Agent Expendable. Uh, This is about Age of Ultron. Ben, I adore you for seeing and calling out the child, childless widow monster thing. As a woman who has decided to remain childless, childless, I get the, quote, you are only worth your ability to breed thing all the time, especially for my Christian acquaintances and family. And the dialogue widow had around her sterilization story really pissed me off, not necessarily the sterilization story itself, for several reasons. Basically what you said to the letter. If their intent was different than what we saw on screen, then this was unforgivably bad writing. Actually, I thought all the dialogue in the Widow Banner story came from a bad piece of fan fiction written by a 13-year-old. I'm intrigued by the idea of the pairing, but the dialogue was ridiculous. I was literally laughing throughout most of it. Hawkeye. Sigh. I might have ranted on about how you could have possibly liked the Hidden Family stuff, but I like you. I love you too much for the above thing to open that can of worms. On the other hand, all of Hawkeye's, quote, at-work moments rocked my world. I was disappointed, again, that Coulson was not included on screen, especially since they basically wrote that part that would have easily fit him and filled it with someone else, Fury. Everyone has wanted an on-screen, I'm alive, reveal to the Avengers forever, and it just isn't that complicated to do it, and I just can't let go of a Coulson cameo in every movie thing, even though it hasn't happened in ages now. 
But whatever, beggars can't be choosers. I could go on for pages about how much I loved everything about Vision, but you covered a lot of it. I could go on for pages about the rest of it, which is amazing. So bottom line, love the movie overall, not 100%, especially the 90% that it wasn't written by a 13-year-old, and even that had its novelties. And so here's where I'm going to stop, and I'm going to just mention why my some of my thinking has changed. I've been thinking about why the Black Widow storyline bothered me. And the sterilization part bothers me, I think, for the right reasons. And that's that she had that done to her so that when she's now dealing with, you know, Banner, she didn't have the choice. And that was that choice was taken away from her. I think someone in, in an earlier message said that. Um, but what bothers me about pairing Black Widow with Bruce Banner is that in every other movie, your female characters tend to be supportive of the the main character in a romantic role. And so Pepper, she's serving Tony. You have Agent Carter, who has eight episodes of a fantastic TV show that pull her away from what I'm saying. But as far as the movies are concerned, she was a, a secondary character and love interest to Steve Rogers. Uh, Sif and Jane form a love triangle for Thor. And so if you take all these primary movies, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, they get an out because, yes, you do have Peter and uh, Gamora, but they both are kind of on equal footing as far as the cast goes. They are on a cast movie together, a team movie together. And so then you have Black Widow, who was the one primary character who was female and who wasn't a romantic interest to one of the boys that were in in the lead you had her on equal footing with them this doesn't necessarily take her out of equal footing with them but it does it does it bothers me that she couldn't have escaped the whole soap opera let's have a romance thing because you you put two beautiful people on screen together and there's romance, you know, and, and that's what you're expecting when you see that kind of thing. And it happens in almost every movie. And so that's where it bothers me because they took her and put her into that trope. And it can work and it can be good. But at the same time, they didn't have to because they'd done that with so many other female characters in, in these movies. Um and that is a problem. My daughters want to see this one. They don't want to see many of the other Marvel movies, but they saw Captain America. They liked that. They saw Avengers. They liked that. One of my daughters saw Winter Soldier, and she liked that. And so coming in here, maybe they'll like it. Maybe they won't. I don't know. I mean, they love the fact that Jamie Summers and Steve Austin had a relationship um, because my children live in the 70s because they live with me. But... So I, I don't know how my daughters are going to feel about this. I only know me looking from the outside. I I look at it and just say, ah, oh, they didn't have to go there with that. Um, so I still don't like it. I still wish they had done something different with the dynamic. And honestly, her opening up to Bruce, I've heard some people defend it as she wasn't actually opening up to him. She was doing what she always does, which is saying what needs to be said to get what she wants to get because that's what, you know, that's her character or whatever. I don't agree with that. I think she actually did open up to Bruce 
because we saw Steve Rogers say she doesn't do that. And she looks, this is different right now with her. Part of me almost wishes that she had done that scene instead of with Bruce, done that scene with Hawkeye or with Hawkeye's wife. What a great scene to have her talking to Hawkeye's wife and saying, I've had to face my greatest fear and I can't shake it because here's what they did to me and here's what I chose to do. I murdered a man in a graduation ceremony and then, or as a final exam, and then as the graduation ceremony, they did this to me. I can never have what you have. And then she, you know, but whatever, however they're going to do that. I know it's a complicated issue. I do know that women who are sterile and men who are sterile, couples who are sterile together and are unable to have children, it's complicated and painful. I understand that. But I I wonder, could it have been even more interesting if it hadn't been someone who she was romantically inclined toward? But it had been someone who she had a friend relationship with, Hawkeye or Hawkeye's wife. I just think, wow, what it would have, it would have been so awesome if we had seen that they actually just had a friendship and they wouldn't, you know, the, she's actually having like this deep conversation with the one person in the world that she can open up to because she feels safe because she's family. Now, I'm going to stop there because I don't want to dig too much more of a uh, hole for myself. I've already turned Lester off. Um, He's shamed me, and I understand some of what he is saying. I don't think we agree necessarily (laughs) about it, but um, I do understand. That's that's how my thinking has kind of changed, though, a little bit. And the, the sterilization dialogue... I don't feel as bad about, but I still don't like very much. I wouldn't say 13-year-old, maybe 15-year-old fan fiction, but um, that's me being snarky, by the way. So I'm not, I don't really think that. I, I think it's a well-written movie, but that dialogue was difficult and didn't work. It didn't do what it was intended to do, I think. So I'm done there. And from here on out, I do want to hear if other people have other thoughts to say about it. But yes, Daniel, please sit forward in your chair now. You may use your microphone again. You put down the ICT and All right, read the, that third message there from our website. And then we have a couple audio feedbacks to play. Mike Wither, Mike Withers, sorry, Mike, on Guardians of the Galaxy. As young Peter Quill ran out of the hospital in the opening of the movie, I leaned over to my son and said, I'm glad we're not watching that movie. <laughs> then the spaceship showed up and I really thought it was another trailer. I really like this movie, and yes, it did get corny, but the entire movie had corniness to it already. So that wasn't an issue. You guys mentioned Quill had an internal translator so he could understand Groot. But I think Groot said, I am Groot, and that meant that he was Groot each time. That's when he says, we are Groot, it means just that. It wasn't that he was saying different things each time. It just sounded the same to us. And I don't think we said he had an internal translator because you have to use Rocket. No, we did say that. He did have one. Oh. Well, I am Groot. Yeah. All right. So we got a couple voicemails after the finale. Um, Two of them are from Agent Matt and two of them are from Agent John. Or No, three of them? Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and play the first one from Agent Matt. Hello, Daniel and Ben. This is Agent Anderson calling you from Minnesota. I actually had the pleasure of watching tonight's 
awesome episode with Agent Daniel. So, Daniel, thanks for having me over. All right, everybody. This episode, this two-parter was great. What an awesome finale. I loved it. Two quick thoughts. First, the very end. All I could think is, Fitz, you're an idiot. How could you not notice you accidentally opened that door? (laughs) Sure, we'll hear more about that next season. Finally, second and final point. Uh, we know that the, that ABC has been thinking about doing a spinoff for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I think the way to go is maybe some sort of super team or maybe give the Inhumans some sort of show, even though there is a movie coming up. But it seems like that's, uh, it's connected to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. world, but it's separate enough, especially when I have just seen that community of Inhumans, even though this was sort of a, bad community or just led by a bad person. Something like that could work. A super-powered community of people or team. Although, Sky has to stay on the show. I don't know how exactly they'll do it, but that's my idea. So, well, guys, as always, your podcast is great. I enjoy listening to it. Thanks so much for your hard work. We'll talk to you later. This is Agent Henderson signing off. Andy signed off, Daniel, but then he called right back. Hello, this is Agent Anderson again. Oh my gosh, I'm driving home, still thinking about this episode. This is by far the best episode of the season. And I, I know I keep referring to it as one episode. It's just two-parter. It ran as one big, awesome movie of an episode. I actually felt seamless. I don't even know where there would have been a break for the end of an episode. But yeah, best episode of the season by far. And holy cow, what happened to Colton? the most shocking moment in the entire show. Nothing else has happened on this whole show or in TV recently. That made me that made me gasp so much. It's crazy. Alright, well, crazy, but Agent Ben is calling my phone right now, so we gotta go. Bye. <laughs> oh, and I guess that's the end of the message there. Hello? And then he tried to answer, but I don't know what was going on with that. So yeah, I wasn't crazy. actually trying to call him back. So, um, All right. And then we have some messages from Agent John Wilkerson. No, man. Hello, Agents Ben and Daniel. John Wilkerson here. Wow. What a season finale. So much to talk about there. However, I will say that I was right. I said... Bobby would die, and she did. She was resuscitated by Agent May, but Bobby did die. So I was right about Bobby dying in this season. She didn't stay dead, but nonetheless, she did die. Anyway, wow, what an episode. There's so much to talk about. I am eager to hear what you guys have to say about it. It's actually the next morning, and I... We'll call in with more comments later, except to say, Simmons getting swallowed up by the goopy stuff? What's up with that? And how about Psycho Daddy? Psycho Daddy was not only psycho, but he was like Psycho-Roid Daddy. <laughs> Talk to you guys later. Keep up the great work. Bye. Did she die? Did Bobby no, die? No, she's taking a nap. Bobby can't die. She's a legend. Okay. She wasn't taking a nap. I know that. Hey, girl. You seem to be resting pretty comfortably. Did she die? I don't no. think she died. She got shot. I don't know. She did. Hey, girl. Well, 
you look pretty well not dead not dead after being shot <laughs> all right ready next one oh and i can't believe i didn't mention this colson getting his arm chopped off by matt when he catches the terrigen crystal now here's what i thought when he caught it i thought nothing was going to happen because they injected him with the Cree blood to bring him back to life. I thought for sure that when they pumped it, you know, pumping him full of that stuff would make him immune to the mists or the crystals. But I guess not. Anyway, that was crazy. And I think he should get like a hook or something. And maybe he'll be the Marvel Cinematic Universe's version of Aquaman. That's it. Bye. That MCU's it right there. Yeah. What what I like about that is that I've seen some people um, make the connection to Submariner and how, yeah, his domain has been polluted by this stuff. And that, I mean, that seems like the kind of thing that would bring Submariner out from the trenches, right? Or out from the trench, even. There to you use go. A new 52. Uh, location from DC Comics, but yeah, a hook would be fun. I don't know if they'll go there, but it would be fun. So, is that all of our nope. feedback? Wait, oh, hey, Ben and Daniel, John Wilkerson here, and I was just thinking, you know how there were all these rumors of a spinoff series with Bobby and Hunter? Well, what if we're going to get a spinoff series? And that spinoff series is with Sky and Lincoln and with some cameos from our main cast. And maybe Sky would have some cameos in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. shows. Just a thought, because I was thinking, you know, here she has this uh, new assignment. And maybe halfway through the next series, she goes off on her own, does her own thing. I think that would be interesting. I'd love to hear what your thoughts would be on that. Bye. It's called, are you ready for it? Ready. Secret Warriors. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. I could see them doing Sky's own show, and then she'd come back every once in a while to you know, join up with Coulson and Bobby and Hunter and Mac. And then um, there's that episode where she has to learn the tough lesson of sending Druid away. Because he's not carrying his end. You mean Dr. Druid? No, no, just Druid. Just Druid? Oh, okay. Um, we do have some Facebook stuff, Daniel. We have what stuff? Facebook. Well, we do have to address something. Okay, what is it? Agent Snook, and I have to address this because I wore a hat designed by him all day today. Okay. He says, I need two prognostications. Wow, that's a tough word for prognostications. me. Prognostications. From Agent Ben and Agent Daniel about happenings you think will happen in Agent in season three. So Ben, your two predictions. Um, prediction number one: We're going to see much, much more from the superhero style of character in the MCU. They are going to do that because I foresee a much lighter season. With it, I mean, there'll still be some dark stuff going on. But my my prediction is that with Sky and Coulson 
working together to try and help powered individuals or enhanced assets, as you want to call them. Uh, I think that we're going to see a lot more of that kind of thing in season three. What's one of yours? Because I need to think I of the think other one. I think in season three, you'll hear me say a few times, hey, girl, good job kicking that guy's butt. Okay. Because I'm, I'm excited about the fact that Bobby is here to stay, and I'll even take Hunter with her. <laughs> That's very, very uh, noble of you, very kind. Um, what else would will we see? I mean, I kind of used up my opportunity to say something about Great Lakes Avengers because I did just kind of generically say there'll be lots more of those kind of characters. I'll say that we will see another movie actor come into season three and and play a part in an episode. Um, oh, here's a third one. Where it's it's absolutely going to be Ward versus Coulson. Oh yeah, and Ward is going to pull together his team. You totally took mine. And so it'll be Shield versus Hydra. Totally, a lot mine. of Shield versus Hydra kind of stuff. And, and there'll here be I'll throw pointy a Hydra, and there'll be rounded Hydra. Well, I, and <laughs> I think it's more of a mercenary Hydra. Less true believers, more guys here yeah, taking the money. Yeah, I'll hail Hydra that. Yeah, I mean that kind of thing I could see, and it, and it can't be true believers, really. At this gone. point, because except for list, wherever list is, yeah, I, I don't remember where he ended up. But you know, he didn't die and then off screen th- at least. And then, other than our predictions, I think the other major question we have for Facebook we'll have to handle after the credits. Yeah, yeah, and and add to it a little bit, and that is, well, we were asked to talk about one thing, but we're going to talk about two quickly. Or I have opinions. I do as well. So, we made it. Yeah. Uh, I I will say this. If we missed your feedback, unless it was that one profanity-laced one that we just couldn't read. Um, But if we missed your feedback, it was nothing against you. And I do apologize um, for for missing it. Uh, We've gotten through all the feedback except for Daredevil feedback that we've received up until this point, the Daredevil feedback we are putting into different folders for each Daredevil episode based on how far the feedback mentions things. Um, we haven't gotten a lot of Daredevil feedback, uh, and I don't know if that's just because we haven't started talking about it yet or if that's just you know people who binge watch something don't stop to do feedback because it's ready for the next episode or, or what. But um, we will be re- reading the Daredevil feedback as it comes in in with the episodes that it refers to. So that is one ad- advantage that we have here is that we actually get to rewatch the episode more than once and we also get to um, talk about it with a little bit of distance and with the knowledge of what happens after that episode. So we also, Daniel and I both left voicemails for each episode right after we watched it. So we get that first first reaction from us. Uh, which which I really wanted because that's one thing we do lose in doing it this way is that first reaction. So, Yeah, beyond that, thank you for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. We're going to talk about some other TV stuff that is not related to the MCU after the post or after the, the end credits here. So, 
Daniel, do you have any last words, final thoughts you want to pass on to our listeners before we play that music? You know, Ben, season two had a lot of surprises for me. But probably one of the biggest surprises was how this season impacted my heart. And I just want everyone to remember as we go into season three, that's my Bobby. Never goes down without a fight. Thank you for listening to Welcome to Level 7. We'd love for you to join the conversation. You can leave us a voicemail at one seventy seven fifty five the word level, and then the number 7. That's one seven seven five 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 three eight three five seven. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcome to level 7. 7 is spelled out. Follow us on Twitter where we are level7pod. 7 is spelled out. Or email us directly, feedback at welcome to level 7com 7 is spelled out. Visit our website, welcome to level 7com for news, reviews, and links to our RSS feeds. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls, jsearls.bandcamp.com. And again, thanks for listening. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh at their clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. I made it before I went to zero. I really need to create a new sounder that actually includes all that information so I don't have to keep reading it. But Yeah, that yeah. would be smart. And sorry for jumping the gun on the the music there. So we were asked on Facebook to address a TV show that's DC-related. Yes. Which is DC's Legends of Tomorrow. But before we talk about that, let's quickly talk about something else that we have seen. Because the pilot episode of another DC show has been released. Although it has been released, cut down to a six-minute form. Are you talking about Super Gilmore Girls? I am yeah, Super Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I am talking about Supergirl, my friend. Ugh. It looks just like a show with the title of Supergirl might look like when someone is trying to make a show about a character named Supergirl. Here's my thing, and and I saw somebody, some folks make comments about how it feel, felt like the Black Widow Saturday Night Live sketch. And it does. It does a little bit, yeah. Hey, I just saved you. Let's share feelings. Hey, I'm going to tell everyone that I know that I'm in fact Supergirl. I do find it interesting all these references to her cousin and how that'll work into the show. That's what makes it so weird to me is that this is a world with a Superman, but at the we're same not gonna time, see we're not going to see him really. And I'm wondering to myself. It's going to be like Teen Titans, the cartoon, the first, not Teen Titans Go, but the original Teen Titans, 22-minute episode once, where, like, at one point, Batman has an appearance, but it's like it's a shadow. Yeah, yeah. Or even Crypto the Superdog, <laughs> where uh, Superman would be there, but not, you know, you wouldn't see his face or whatever. Um, but it, it it is a weird concept in, in that, you know, it's a character based on another character. So... There's that. I learned not. in the Jerry Conway interviews that I've heard recently that that means they're derivative. They are. They are. And the the thing I'm I'm th- reminded of is uh, Birds of Prey, that TV show, where you know Batman was a big part of their background, but he wasn't in in any of it. 
you know. I just I just get the feeling I'm not the target audience for this. You're not. You're and not. I get the feeling that it may not last more than eight episodes, maybe ten, just because let's be honest. The audience for this should be me if it's going to be a superhero TV show and stay on. Nope. Nope. For the for this to work, they need to build a new audience. Nope. For this to work, they need to convince guys who watch read comic books to watch the show. No. For this to work, they need to bring in 13 and 14-year-olds. My 13-year-old is going to have no interest in this. And mine might have an interest in it, but I'm not going to trust it because I don't know what the content is going to be like. Um, with it being feeling like a, a romantic comedy for parts of it, and then feeling like an, a real big action adventure for other parts. It, Seriously, it, it feels kinda... just like the Black Widow SNL parody. It does. Where they like show an action scene, and all of a sudden she's like, let's talk about my outfit. Yeah. And again, I know this is now, me wait being a minute, though, because Lois and, Lois and Clark did that same scene with, with Clark Kent and his parents. In the, in that first episode, same exact scene, except it was a dude putting on clothes and coming out and and showing it off for his mom and his dad. Yeah, but I didn't make it through every episode of Lois Clark because you weren't the audience for that one either. Lois, but and Clark, I should have been. No, you shouldn't have been. Lois and Clark. I was a thirteen-year-old boy. <laughs> no, Daniel, it wasn't made for you. It was made for people like my wife. And her sister and her mom, who actually carved it out as appointment television, even though they had no interest whatsoever in comic books. It created a brand for them, and it created awareness for them, and that's what Supergirl is going to do. It's going to do what they haven't done with Wonder Woman yet, and that's to give a brand and an awareness and a character to people who aren't like you and me. But here's the thing. And again, I'm a guy. Yeah, you so, are. I'm a guy. Wonder Woman. You know what Wonder Woman I want to see? I want to see the God of War. Okay? That's what I want to see. I want to see the tough see warrior Wonder Woman. <laughs> That's fine, Daniel. I'm just saying they're making this to build a new audience. And it won't succeed if they can't build that new audience. It's not going to succeed. It might not, but they're not making it for me. They're not making it for you. They might reference some stuff that we'll like, like, you know, saving a plane in the same way that Superman did for us in the first Superman movie. But it's not for us. I mean, it is for us. They're hoping it'll be that some of us will come in, but they're making it specifically for people who already don't who don't already have a superhero character for them. We have lots of men running around in tights that we can but, say, that's me or who I want to be or who I wanted to be when I was a child but, and wanted to fly. But the shows with the guys running around in tights are the shows that are staying. Because, again, Constantine, I've heard great sh- things about it. I'm not Constantine's target audience. It didn't stay. I, I'm sorry, Daniel. They're making this to give a hero – for your daughter and my daughter to look up to. My daughter has a hero. Her name is Quake. Okay, maybe she does. I'm just saying, Daniel, that and you know what? This is for young younger than us women. And we've had my daughter on here. Okay. As the as the primary audience, I should say. It's, we, it's for lots of people, but the primary audience is going wants. after. There's a hero she'd love to see. 
Her name is Captain Marvel. I mean, Miss Marvel. And this doesn't have the Miss Marvel feel either. Because part of the thing about the Miss Marvel thing is it's because Camilla has problems that are like real problems. The problems in this Supergirl six minute pilot, they literally feel like, what am I going to do with my cape? Yes. And I'll, I'll say it feels rote. The the personal stuff feels like it's it's ripped straight I, from a young adult drama from the CW. I'll here, give you here. that, but that's I, why gonna, they're that's what they're trying to do is they're going after that demographic. So so I get every issue of Miss Marvel, bring it home, tell my daughter I have a gift for her, a surprise because she never knows when it's coming out. She reads it and then she immediately hands it to me. Okay, you want to see the show that I want my daughter to watch, Miss Marvel. There is. A huge moment in the last Miss Marvel comic book where basically Miss Marvel says, you're a boy, you're cute, you showed me attention, and because of that, I gave you power over me in these ways. And now I take it back. I take back the power. Because I understand that I'm I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, I'm pretty enough, I'm a hero enough to deal with this situation. You are describing an ABC family show. You are not describing a CW or primetime CBS, which I'm just is saying, weird. That's the show that my daughter wants to watch. That's great, and but that, that's not... And you know what? That was probably one of the most empowering comic books that I ever read with her. And when we got to the end of that, I straight out said, did you see what she did there? You need to pay attention to her attitude in this situation. And I don't feel like Supergirl's going to give that attitude. No, and I don't plan on even making it a thing that I'm going to offer to my children. If my girls say something about it, we will look into it probably. It's, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's groundbreaking. And I'm not saying that it's a positive thing even. I'm just saying they're not making it for the 40-year-old male demographic. They're making it for that younger female demographic that's going to but spend I'm money on the things clicker. that's going to spend money on things that are going to be advertised. Should we talk show. about what's been written for the put being put out for the forty year olds? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Okay. Now I have not watched a single episode of Flash yet, and I have not watched Arrow since Flash had his accident. Okay, so here's my thoughts on those two. I find Arrow really frustrating. There's part, I really like Stephen Amell as Arrow. I don't like the writing. And I don't like the situations going on around it because it's typical CW. Flash is fun and I find it delightful. And I and like when I was watching the Mark Hamill Trickster episode, I was messaging you the whole time, telling you, you have to see this. It's just so fun. And I will. So they're basically taking that CW attitude plus the fun of the Flash and they're putting them together in Legends of Tomorrow. Now, I know you haven't seen Captain Cold and Heat Wave. No, I they're haven't. great characters, and they're portrayed really, really well. And I haven't seen Firestorm either. And, and Firestorm's presented okay. It's fine. Here's the thing, Daniel. I know what's going on over there. I know you have these characters who have shown up. Adam. Atom. Not Adam. But Atom. Which I think this trailer is the first time I've actually seen him shrink because I don't watch Green Arrow. Okay. Well, Whatever. I'm watching this. I'm seeing these characters. And then Rip Hunter shows up. 
Rip Hunter shows up. Right? Yeah. And it's it's uh what's his name from from Doctor Who? Uh Arthur Dar, 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 Darnell Dar. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but it's it's uh Rory. It's Rory, yeah. He shows up and he's Rip and he Hunter. He drops Time Masters. He drops Time Masters. He there. says Time Masters. He <laughs> It's true he's going to drop a horrible line later when he says the name of the show. Ugh. You're legends. Okay, that came off really fake. But he he then he's you know if we have Rip Hunter we can have Booster. He says he says outright you guys need to travel back in time with me to fight this fight and my jaw is dropping and when he said that I said what? I said it out loud. What? This is a time traveling superhero show? But it makes sense but what did you think when they said the name of the villain? Vandal Savage? I mean, they're going to fight him through time as he's growing older. This is completely corny. Oh, my goodness. I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to not watch it? It has Hawk Girl. It has Hawk Girl, dude. It has, again, I'm just watching and thinking, I have put off watching Flash until the summer. I don't know if I will put off watching Legends of Tomorrow. I really hope someone comes to me and says, hey, we're doing a podcast about Legends of Tomorrow, and uh, we'd love to have you on a couple times. Because the, the Gotham guys, they need to be doing Legends of Tomorrow. Well, they're already doing the Defenders, too, though. I mean, they need to drop the Defenders, and they need to do Legends of Tomorrow. Well, maybe they can find someone else who can do it for them. <sighs> but they're, the biggest problem with Gotham and TV podcasts is the fact that, A, they're so far behind me. But A, now I'm really behind them because Right, right. I am too. I'm behind on on Gotham watching. But the point being, this looked (laughs) looked so funky and amazing and weird. And I had flashbacks, and this is not a good thing necessarily, but I had flashbacks to the fight scenes from Masters of the Universe, the live-action movie with those black-suited stormtroopers shooting lasers. And they're shooting lasers at superheroes who are flying. They're actually flying around and doing stuff. They're being superheroes. We are watching a low-rent Avengers TV show in the making here. So so this is the thing we have to be aware of. This is either going to be one of the most fun TV shows out there or it's going to be a horrible hot mess of horribleness. And after three episodes, we'll be like, ah, when it's on Netflix, I'll watch it. It could quite possibly go into stupid land very quickly. But I love, again, I love It's like, hey, here we are. We're on our trip to stupid land and we're wearing our clown shoes. Brandon Roth was born to play superheroes. And he's just so dang earnest is is Ray Palmer. perfect in that part. Now, he doesn't remind me of the Ray Palmer that I've read at all. But he's, but he's, he's just so perfect and nice doing and what he's doing in there. And oh, he's my from Iowa goodness. originally. Ugh. This stuff, man, I was watching this three minutes and just thinking now the Supergirl six minute thing. I feel like I just watched the pilot episode. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly how that first episode is going to go. And it's a show that I might watch on and off, but I'm not I'm not all that interested in getting into this Legends of Tomorrow? What in the world is this? And it's got a stupid name. Oh, it's got a terrible name. 
but I still want to see it. It has a terrible name. Legends of Tomorrow tells you nothing about who you're watching. Except that, I mean, I guess if the time travel thing and the future stuff is really, really important, I guess Legends of Tomorrow would work. But it just, to me, it does not sound at all like a a show I I would watch. Then again, on the other hand, depending on the show, it sounds exactly like a show I would watch. So, see, the thing is, is this is the show that eight-year-old Daniel would have gotten excited about. I I can't believe it. Well, it is. You know, it's it's like when you were a kid, did you tend to to buy comics based on how many characters were on the cover? Sometimes it helped. Yeah. I mean, I love Justice League International, and there was always a ton of co- characters on the cover. Yeah, I always, when I would see one, the more characters that I recognized, the better. So, but oh my goodness. This thing, this is wild. This is just plain wild. We're not going to podcast about it. No, we can't. I mean, there's just not enough time, and I can't produce more than what I'm already producing in a week. I'm actually at the breaking point of that anyway. But... Yeah. This is going to be so fun. And seriously, this summer, you're going to be loving The Flash. You are. I'm excited. and Because it's not – I mean, it's got some of those CW elements. And let's be honest, you're looking at this cast. You know, White Canary's going to be kissing on somebody or more than one somebody. You know, Hot Girl's troubled. Well, she's probably going to be even more troubled when she's trying to hook up with a time traveler or a guy with a cold gun. I, I mean, it's going to happen, but it just looks so fun. Yeah. I I plan to watch Flash. I have no intention of watching Arrow except for Flash-related episodes. And part of me wanting to do that is simply to get ready for this show. Because, <laughs> man, there's some good stuff going on in that trailer. There's some stuff out of context. And when we see it in context, it might just be stupid. But I want to go there. Yeah. So there's that. Matt is that. I mean, Ben. (laughs) Ben, do you think in the future we will not just be seen as heroes or agents, but legends? (laughs) That's a poor line. Yeah. Horrible name for the show. Horrible name. All right, time for us to say goodbye, and our next episode is actually going to be our first Daredevil episode. And then we'll have a comic book episode somewhere in there, and episode 100 is coming up pretty quickly. We're trying to figure out how we're going to be able to give away some comics for that. Um, Hopefully we'll figure out something, and if not, we'll do something else. I don't know. but All I can say is, later, player!